This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. We were commenting before we got started about our producer, Maddie, who's been a breath of fresh air to our podcast because she's so optimistic in Judea. She just brings a smile to her work. We, we like her. And she's newly married uh, as well, so she's got the glow, the bridal glow. I got to meet her husband um, a couple days ago. Have you guys met her? Yeah, her she brought yet? him. We, she we brought vet, him to set. We vetted him. So he shows up at dinner, and, oh, he got involved with some chicken and waffles. I, I mean, he was a bottomless pit. I, I will say that. <laughs> he's chicken. not a very big well, man. No, so. he's not. I was shocked. I mean, he ate. I mean, it was a huge plate of, of waffles <laughs> and chicken. Uh, what? what and he, I'm not sure I, about the combination there. Yeah, that's chicken a and waffles. That's Chicken and wobble? Yeah, Is that what y'all do in North Carolina? We did that in Louisiana. That was your neck of the woods. I've never eaten chicken with Little Blondie, they're, they're, they're vetting your man. <laughs> <laughs> she can't comment. There's just a nice thing about yeah. uh, we can talk about it. She can't let us know. Yeah, she's labor. at the stage about the month in to tread lightly. Yeah, that's right. So, But, you know, it's interesting because we were talking about optimism, and and she brings that to our set, which is good. You know, it is important. And Zach, I, I was going to, Jason made me think about this when we were talking about it, that the the actress who played mom in The Blind when we watched the movie uh, recently, um, I thought she portrayed mom's optimism just at, in terms of lifelong optimism yeah. in a really powerful way. Um, it, was, it was good. I mean, that was such a, yeah, it was such a big part of the story because obviously those were, you know, some tough times, but you know, mom was always pretty optimistic through the process and still is about life. And I just thought that that the lady that played her really, that came across big to me just in the way her smile. And I mean, good actors can do stuff, you know, without you even realize it. But I mean, I don't know. Did you pick that up, dad? That I did. Yeah. I just thought it was a very optimistic uh, yep. performance and good, it really captured a good mom. job. Yeah. You, you, it, it's amazing what optimism can bring to a, like the energy it brings. And we, we were joking on the other side of the podcast, but I mean, when you, I've always tell our producers this, that like when you're in a room producing content, like when you're the one talking, I mean, you need that feedback. A lot of times you don't get it. You know, if somebody's in the room laughing at your jokes, I mean, that it just elevates the whole conversation. Even if you're not saying anything, just having that positive energy and, and laughing at the jokes. And you know, it's, it's horrible when you don't have, when you don't have an audience at all, you, you give a joke and let, nobody's laughing. Yeah. You know? Well, I always kind of view my role as the Ed McMahon of this of the Johnny Carson uh, Tonight Show, but but I, I'd be serious. I'm not doing that just because you know I'm trying to like fulfill a role. I mean, it's just, things are genuinely funny to me um, that that you guys say, and so if, if something's funny, I'm gonna laugh. I propose that we have a button on this table that Phil and I are sitting at. And because I've seen other TV shows have this, and I can just push it. I won't overuse it, but I push it, and it's the sound of crickets. 
You've wanted that. For, you've wanted that yeah. for some time I now. Baby, this is, I think yeah, when you say think, something but, profound or a yeah. joke that's funny and nobody laughs, which usually happens if Al's not here, then we should. I should be able to click that button. So then they can go back and listen to what you know, because it just went it went over your head. You know, I used to do a position <laughs> with my kids when I would tell them something and I was kidding, and they didn't get it. <laughs> I would lift my hands by, over my head like this. Mm -hmm. It looked like deer antlers. And they never understood why I did that till they were all teenagers. Interesting. My point was, yeah, you need to catch what I just said because it went right over your head. Well, you, you had that problem last night when you were preaching, right? I did. You did the, well, that the used to bother me, joke. but now it doesn't. Silence doesn't bother me. You know, I tell a joke and nobody laughs. Well, you're real mother. dry, so you. It's. I mean, you. It. It takes a minute to. Okay, wait. Like a lot of times, your punchlines when you deliver them, I mean, which is what makes it funny. But there are times that I, I don't know you're you're telling a joke until you get to the punchline, which is a great setup. But then my brain has to catch up with you know what I'm saying because I'm I'm thinking we're going down a, like a, a legitimate road here, mm -hmm. and then then you deliver the punchline. Well, you're violating the Jace principle. And uh, my good friend Kevin McIntosh explained myself to me. He's not a counselor, but uh, he was the guy that was brought to the Lord accidentally. And uh, and I mean that from a human perspective because God knew what he was doing. But we were studying with someone else. He came in the house, which was the equivalent of a frat house. <laughs> he didn't get the memo that some of the members of the frat house were coming to the Lord. So he came over there for the party. <laughs> He saw a Bible and just left the room immediately. But he overheard the gospel being shared to another fella who did not respond and wanted nothing to do with it. And so when the study was over, he came out of the closet saying, I'm ready, which was incredible. But one time he said very profound, he said, I've noticed something about being around you and I've come to a conclusion. And I said, lay it on me. He said, I'm never listening to you again unless you have duck calls in your hand or a Bible. And I said, that's probably a pretty good idea. Yep. That's when you're serious. No, he just said that's, that's, that's when it's actually uh, meaningful. Or there's hope. The, the rest of it is nonsense. There's hope those kind. <laughs> no, it was not a compliment. It was. Uh... <laughs> I was like, again, no. I didn't catch on there. I'm like, I don't think that's. Uh... I got it, James. No, I he got was it. ripping me to shreds. He was like, I'm not listening to you anymore unless you have a Bible in your hand. Because he's not a duck hunter. What, so I was, what he was saying was is that most of what Jace is flowing out of Jace's mouth is bull shabaki. Yeah, it's for Bible and Ducko. Yeah, oh, and it's right like, there. you know, your wife, my lovely wife, brings that out. She agrees with that assessment. But, you know, marriage, I mean, we were talking about Maddie being newly married. Uh, the One of the good things about being married, which – it's hard to accomplish when you're single is when you read that story about Jesus saying, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be, uh, or you can't see to take the speck out of someone's eye because you have a plank in yours, but marriage reveals that plank and, uh, your marriage partner. Oh yeah. At some point they're like, you literally have a telephone pole coming out of your eye and you can't see it. 
Oh, I heard Matt Chandler. I think Matt Chandler said this, or somebody said this. It was funny. They said uh, getting married is the greatest tool of sanctification, and it's like driving a Mack truck through your life. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, marriage will. I mean, it'll expose things in you that you, you, you didn't know were there, and, which is beautiful, but it's painful, too. It was the old Avatar, the line from Avatar, the movie. They When they would see each other, they would say, I see you, and that was kind of their connection to like saying, I love you. But you're right, Jason. Marriage, you see more clearly than anybody else. Once you become two, become one in a covenant relationship, you see everything. And so that's that's where you deal with it, which is powerful. So we're in uh, we're in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter six uh, is is where we are. Oh. Actually, Luke chapter seven. Yeah. Luke seven. Sorry. Um, and uh, we're talking about the faith of a centurion and. Um, because he had, uh, they had sent for Jesus, and and in the overtime segment of the last podcast, we were talking about what happened here, and that the servant was healed, and uh, that kind of led us into a discussion a little bit about miracles and sort of the limited nature of miracles. Because if they don't get you to the one who does the miracles, and Jace, you said this many times before on the podcast. It's not going to do you a lot of good. I mean, it may help you in the moment, but it doesn't help you in the long run. And so when you said that, I teased to our overtime audience that it it gave me an idea for a sermon because I was thinking about that there were there's kind of three centurions that have an interesting uh, presence in the Bible. And, of course, this is the first one. And the second one, you remember at the end of Mark in Mark 15, uh, when Jesus has died, it said that there was a man there, the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry, and saw how he died. And he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And when we studied the book of Mark, we talked about how that it was amazing because just watching what happened and the way it happened, it instilled in him a faith that this this guy was who he said he was. And so then I thought about the third centurion, which was in Acts chapter 10, which was Cornelius, who was a God-fearing man who was praying and got a vision to send some men for Peter who came to him and, and shared the gospel with him and his family, came into his house. you know. And so I, I just it hit me when you were talking about this, Jace, that there these three centurions, they found Jesus by different means. One was by a miracle. Uh, which is the guy we've been talking about. The second guy was by witnessing his death and the way he died. And then the third guy was one who got a direct revelation because he, he already feared God that your family and your future can be blessed. And so Cornelius actually ushered in the Gentile world into the church in the, in the first century. And so just the progression of those three centurions, I thought about, calling it something like, you know, a tale of three centurions and showing that the, the as you progress along, ultimately your faith is what leads you to salvation in Jesus. But I don't know. It was no, just I think it's it good. sparked out of that you discussion. Could, you could yeah. use uh, Naaman in the, because his situation was kind of similar to this where, it's a good uh, point. you know, you could look that up and see the similarities. But I will say this on the first one, it wasn't the miracle that necessarily what got him, it was that he realized he could do a miracle. Yeah. And which goes to my point, the the 
realizing Jesus has the capability of that, that he is the most powerful man to ever walk on the earth, is more important than the actual miracle itself. Because miracles yeah. are temporary. So I'm sure, I mean, this guy was healed, his servant, and but it doesn't say, and they lived happily ever after. I'm sure at some point he died of something else. So the point is, if you're if you're surrendered to Jesus, you realize that no no matter what happens, whether you get the miracle or you don't, there's something greater that's happening on the other side that you don't want to miss out on. I mean, this the whole plan of this kingdom, the reason it's a greater kingdom than any other kingdom that's ever been or will be is because it's eternal. It shows different people, but but the centurion was a trained killer in a member of a group. These these guys were trained killers. Sometimes it's hard to reach trained killers because of the job they do and the way it's structured all the way to the top dog. Yeah, I think it's a great contrast, Phil. Yeah. I mean, he was a trained killer, and Jesus specializes in keeping people alive. That's right. <laughs> so, which That's leads good. us to our next story, which... I mean, they're hard uh, to reach overall. They're pretty hard to reach. So, Dad, I don't know if you knew this or not, but most of the medications that we take in this country are not made here in this country. Did you know that? You're talking to a strange in individual because <laughs> my medical intake is rare <laughs> and... Very. So, so you wouldn't have actually realized that, right? The source of them, I don't know where they came from. Well, most I'm... of them come from China, uh, and if you haven't been paying attention to global politics lately, that could be a problem. Uh, yeah. You know, you got trade wars uh, potentially. Uh, you could have real wars. You could see medical shortages on a level that we've never experienced, and that's just that's not even talking about supply chain issues and you know a lot of other issues that can happen when you get your medicine. So that's why uh, that Jace Medical, not our Jace, uh, this Jace is just our Jace. This is uh, another group. Jace Medical have what they call the Jace case. So it provides five life saving antibiotics for emergency use. And Zach, we've talked about it before. You know, if you got a mission trip coming up, you know, you're in a rural situation or setting, yeah. it'd be great to be able to have life-saving antibiotics. Uh, and here's what – it's a simple process. You go online. Uh, you, you may jump on a quick call with one of their uh, board-certified doctors, um, and they handle everything else. They do an online evaluation, licensed pharmacy de a delivery. Uh, they have ongoing consultation and care. Jace Medical is founded by a small-town doctor who we talked to, great guy, and they prepare for everything uh, with the Jace case. So go to jacemedical.com and enter the code UNASHAMED at checkout for a discount on your order. That's UNASHAMED at jasemedical.com. So in verse 11, you know, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, which I've been into the Israel area when we went there. This was about 20 miles, probably southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's still a little community today. And right outside where the city is, there was a huge graveyard and tombs. And 
So a lot of times you you hear the, and it's the only time this city is mentioned in the entire Bible. But it's just, what is it, lucky that they they wrote this down and it's still over there today and pretty well is, I see how this happened because it was a big graveyard there. So I just thought I'd bring that out. But So they went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So there's a funeral procession here. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. Because that was kind of a taboo thing for anybody back in their cultures. You don't touch a dead body or a coffin. Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, which is kind of humorous. I mean, he went from dead to immediately talking, which the great mystery and cliffhanger is what was he saying? I would love to have known. And it may be, you know, where we got some of the ideas about what happens after you die. Because I'm sure I would have loved to have that conversation and what he said. But anyway, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So a couple of interesting things I want to add to that, Jace, um, and, and looking this up. One is uh, it made me think about there were two different instances, and one was in uh, 1 Kings 17 uh, when, when Elijah was with the widow, and he provides her with the sustenance. You know, she and her son are there, and again, only son, and so it, it saves their lives because there was a great famine and then the son dies. And then the woman's like, well, why would you even save us? You know, if he's just going to die. So Elijah raised him from the dead and it said he gave him to his mother. And that was one image I thought about and had this idea. And the second one was, and you're right when you said that name, it's the only time it's mentioned in the Bible, but it's interesting because this same area, was used to be called Shuman in the Old Testament. And Elisha, who came along after Elijah, also raised a widow's son, the her only son, in this same region. And so I think the reason that's applicable here and important is when they say a great prophet has appeared among us, God has come to help his people, they're having a throwback. They would have known about these stories, uh, you know, in the Old Testament. And so they see what Jesus did as in in linking him back to already a couple of other times where great prophets rose up a widow's son. So I didn't think it was interesting when you just look back at the history that it, it's not on accident that God just says, yeah, let me just show you this little thing. And he doesn't even say anything about it, but it's just implied that this power coming through Jesus as a prophet, I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot to unpack here. I mean... You know, when you read this story and, and not consider all the details, I mean, this place was known for its beauty. That's what Nain 
means. And here Jesus sees this woman who is a widow. So she's already gone to one funeral, which was her husband. And now this is her son, which in their... Her only son. Yeah, which is in, in their culture pretty much means that you have no one to take care of you. And, uh, That's right. And she, she's crying. And what I found fascinating is Jesus said something that, I mean, this hit me like a ton of bricks last night when I was reading this. Jesus got away with something that no man has ever gotten away with in the history of manhood. He told a woman, don't cry. <laughs> and it ended well. Because every time, I thought back to every time, including this past week, we were involved in a situation. We were on a conference call. Missy started crying. And so I was like, started tapping her on the leg, you know. And I could tell it was making her angry. But I was like, this is getting, I mean, you're crying here. You know, we're having a meeting and you're, you're crying. I was, I, was, I was basically saying, quit crying. Stop crying. You were trying well, to be encouraging. When we, right? Well, you that's what I spun it. I spun it that way after the phone call ended. And she literally just lit me up. Were you telling me not to cry? Are you now in charge of my emotion? You know, she uh, I was yeah. like, yeah, well, no. Uh, the thing was, I mean, I was just, I was trying to encourage you. I was tapping, saying, it's, it's going to be okay. It's okay. I'm here for you, baby. So I don't know. I mean, I don't want to come up with something revolutionary here. But I'm just saying, uh, we talked about, you know, marriage, how this whole podcast got started. But I learned. No, I don't guess I have learned because I keep doing it. But it's just not going to end well because men want to fix everything, you know. But in this case, the reason Jesus got away with it when he said don't cry, and I'm sure that wasn't well received in the in the first moment. I've lost my husband. I've lost my son. This is terrible, but you can get away with it if you have the power to yeah, raise it. a dead son. He was basically saying, I've come so your tears will dry up. That's exactly. Well, the contrast is too, you know, in Luke 6, he said, Blessed are you when you weep. And so you're like, yeah. Well, now he's telling her, Don't cry, which is, I also thought about that. But the reason that we're blessed when we do cry is because we have a Savior like Jesus. He, he's providing the the comfort. I mean, that's a blessed situation. Yep. That's such a good point that you only the one with the power to fix why she's crying can tell her not to cry. That's right. In, in fact, when we, we deal with couples, you know, in different settings, and one, one particular course we taught, one of the things the instructors told us is, look, when someone begins to cry, in a setting like this, when, you know, cause you're getting to some emotional stuff, don't say anything. Don't try to make them stop because they're, they're trying to deal with this emotion. So the only thing we could do in our training was just hand them a tissue. I mean, that's how much power we had was like, here's something to help you wipe the tears because we had no power to change their emotional state. But, but you're right. Such a great point that Jesus does have that power. To yeah. take it that away, take that away that's causing the pain and causing the difficulty. So now I have an idea because, I mean, I haven't learned my lesson about don't cry, but I am now. Now that I've read this, I realize that I have a problem because I've done this at least 100 times and it never ended well. So what if I say, Jesus said, don't cry? <laughs> 
No. Okay, Matt even no. put a thumbs down on it. No, no, no uh, good. That's no. not going to work. Okay. They, he's got to, yeah, they've got to read this on their own. Okay. That's so we've right. learned in marriage, I mean, this is a practical thing, don't do. But it is a bigger point and a more important point that the reason Jesus could get away with that is in this moment. I mean, you think about what happened. And even though it was a temporary miracle, you know, he only raised three people from the dead. Uh, and the next one's in the next chapter. Jairus's daughter. Yep. Uh, this young man and Lazarus. And, and Lazarus, right. Which is kind of, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. Of all the miracles he did, and he was around thousands of people. He just did this three times. And all three of those guys, or, or three people, died again. So what what do you think about that? Well, and in the case of Lazarus, uh, to make it even more spicy, is he let him die before he died. I mean, he, he could have, you know, they were like, if you'd have just gotten here, you know, if you'd have just said well, the he, word. Yeah, he didn't prevent it, I guess. Right. Yeah. He, he, he waited, he waited a couple of days and he comes and he's already dead. So I think it's to the point that you said before, let's take another break. I think it's the point you said before, Jace, that it, he's showing that physical death is, is not ultimately even physical death, which to us is the worst thing possible is not the ultimate defeat. And, and he was going to make his own resurrection be that. I think that's why he probably limited. That's a great point because he healed thousands of people from all sorts of things that was there, but he only raised three from the dead. I mean, it tells you something about what he was trying to convey to the people that he was dealing with. All of those things only pointed to him. But it, it, the idea was the only way you can live forever is to be in him. And so I, I think he was like that was reserved just specifically for what he was going to do. Maybe. I mean, it's just my guess, my theory. Yeah, I was just looking at different stories and research. He hasn't died yet, Jesus. Right. Well, right. But he's right. planting the seed also that he has that kind of power, which ultimately he proved it when he, he came back from the dead, which is what other – I mean, what other message are you sending – to give people peace about their own death. But in all that research I was doing, I, I saw a couple of funny stories. I mean, one, there was an inscription in a in a tomb, like a cave in, in these situations, because I've, I've told y'all before, when I went to Israel and they had the tombs that you could go visit, that they, were, they didn't say, oh, this was Jesus's, tomb but they're like it was like this and they're basically all cave you go in a cave and there's a little yeah. room and they sculpt it out and and it's kind of eerie i mean it's it's dark it's gloomy it's cool it's just ugh. and you just don't like to think about that i mean it'd be like you going to a six-foot hole you know and some some counselors have done that for therapy you know they they make people dig a a grave and then get in it and then reflect, you know, and then they do the counseling. I mean, it's not a God thing. They just, or I've heard that, that people do that because you're, you're trying to put things in perspective. You're, you're still alive. And so I don't know, that might be, that, that might work. Well, one, 
point needs to be remembered in all this. In the middle of Matthew, Matthew 16, Matthew, Mark, about Mark, Mark 9, I think it is, Luke. So we're in Luke, but it is interesting that if you turn two pages, which we will in the next few weeks, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone because Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he says, the son of man must suffer many things. And, and just think about it, he raised three. But he warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the son of man will suffer many things. And he will be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. But he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. So something about if he didn't raise but three, which is not a whole lot, but when it came to himself, he said, "You, you strictly were told the apostles don't, don't, don't make." Well, an issue I think of that. that had more to do with his death because the First Corinthians two seven says that if they would have known exactly what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. I think the resurrection. That's know, why I, I just don't think they believe he the, people because like here, Phil, they they were all going around. It says they were telling everybody about it. Yeah, but the problem is that is so crazy. People are not believing that. Look, we have a book that that is filled with history. Like I just said, you can go visit Nain today. I mean, what is that a coincidence that it's still there and it, it and people still don't believe it? I know. I mean, and they're gonna die. You would think. Well, if you had no other options, why are you not doing this? Yeah. So I do think that was more about the evil world and the spiritual forces of evil. If they had known that by Jesus' death that they're doomed, well, they wouldn't have crucified him. I mean, that's that's what I think. Yeah, he's raising them from the dead, but they've got doubts about even him coming to life. <laughs> Nobody would believe that. That's that's, that's right. No. I mean, what I'm saying, my point is proven by his own disciples at Jesus' death. Where were they? Well, they ran. Yeah. Well, they saw him raise somebody from the dead. That's right. But it's one thing to let your mind go down that road. It's another thing in real life. When they say, we're fixed to kill you, and you're like, no, nah, look, don't worry about it. I'm going to be back. I'm going to come back. It'd just be hard for you to believe. Oh, no doubt so about Jace, it. So, what was, Jace, what was your realization from when you looked into the tomb? You, you didn't quite finish Yeah, what I was going to say is, is when I came out, you know, I was overwhelmed with emotion. It's like I never thought about it while I was in there. I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, it's a tomb. This is how that – because I was thinking – it's like we, you know, I'm just thinking a cemetery, you put people in the ground. But when they put people in the ground, it was in a cave and they had a little place for you to lay. But when I stuck my head out and I was in Israel, I thought, this is what I believe. Yeah. And uh, it made me think of an article I read last night. So there's a tomb in England that someone, I guess when they, kind of like when we pick out our grave sites in America, well, over there, this was yeah. a cave, and so when they they picked their cave, they wrote on the wall, but uh, and it was a it was like a poem, but it was basically the thrust of it was, you know, follow me, 
And because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm for who I am. I, and, it, and it was a weird, it was a long, I started to take a picture of it and read it, but it was really long and kind of old English uh, type. But it was like, follow me, I'm at peace. And so someone, when they visited the tomb, because it kind of became something cool, wrote a smaller poem up under it. They just scratched it with like a stick that said, well, I wouldn't be content until I knew which way you went. Because they were <laughs> saying, oh, it's <laughs> nice to say, you know, in your moment of death, I'm fine. But, and you know, you can follow me, but from other people's perspective, we're, we're wondering, well, which direction did you go when, before I decide to follow you? Because you could be sincerely mistaken. Or are you a believer? Cause, and I think my, the point that I was trying to make there is, is Jesus' resurrection is what changes people's lives. That's what connects us to being resurrected. These miracles were just allowing people's minds to realize that he's the son of God. He has this kind of power. And they would die again. It was a temporary sign to show that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what it was for. The greater resurrection that we'll all participate in was, was proven when Jesus came back from the dead because he destroyed death itself yep. forever. Yep. He's still alive. He still he's he is right now at the right hand of God. It was that's why I always said Jesus and who he is and the power he has and what he did trumps all miracles that could ever come into your life. Yep. Because there were they would be temporary things that say, okay, you must you must have some access to Because it's eternal. It's eternal. And it goes back to what he's saying in Luke 6. This is why I'm the king. There's a God. You're not him. I'm the king. My kingdom will last forever. You may cry. You may have problems. Because that's what people have trouble with when they read the Bible. They're like, well, in one moment, he's saying, well, blessed are you when you mourn. And then the next chapter, he's saying, don't cry. I mean, so what is it? But he's not realizing that this life is going to be difficult. Following Jesus is going to be difficult. You are going to be persecuted. Things are not going to go your way. But the, the overriding factor is that Jesus is Lord. This is eternal. When you're dealing with sinful people on a sinful planet, bad things are going to happen. We're perishable. Trees are going to fall on your house. It's it's not it doesn't mean that, you know, God doesn't love you and you use that to get clarity and that's what we view all this difficulty and persecution is and to realize that no matter what happens, we're we're winning. And in the meantime, we're going to be passionate about sharing Jesus. Yeah, and it also shows you, Jace, what you just mentioned is the importance of context because in the context of those blessings and woes he mentioned, he was talking about what you gain your um, what you gain your value in on earth versus what's going to be in heaven. Whereas in the case of this woman, he's like, I can, I, I'm going to grant this blessing to you. Mm -hmm. So don't cry because this is me. But in both cases, the answer is him, no matter what the context is. I, I did think it was interesting. This, this story also shows another component of Jesus's humanity because, you know, it's really interesting in the case of the centurion, there was a faith element 
And then he's like, wow, he's amazed. Look at this guy's faith, you know, and then you see the healing. And that happens a lot in Jesus's miracles. In this case, nobody says anything about faith. In other words, he just sees what's happening. He realizes this is a widow who's lost her only son. So he knows what that means, too. She's destitute now. She's got nothing. And strictly out of compassion, like he just sees the situation. It moves him. And he goes over and says, I'm going to raise this woman's son. I mean, we don't see anything about anybody having this great faith or anything. He just does this blessing because he's moved in his heart for it. And it reminded me of the story in Lazarus when he came there. And you remember, like, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But when he sees how how distraught they are, he weeps. He's moved in his heart with compassion for him, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And he cries with them. In that case, you're talking about crying, Jace. In that case, he cries himself. And so it's really interesting in every context that Jesus is in, what comes through is his heart for people. Whether they distribute or whether they look like they have faith or not, he still has compassion, which is very powerful to me. Oh, it really is. I, I've preached that sermon many times. I mean, why did Jesus cry? Which was the first verse I learned in the Bible because it was the shortest. But two words, <laughs> Jesus wept. But why did he cry even though he knew everything was going to be okay? Well, that question, it shows you the power of God right there. I mean, him becoming a man, he understands our temptations, our difficulties. He, he He's lived it, and he overcame it. And he has a love for us, which is why he came down. And it is okay to cry. You know, I cry all the time now, but... And but it took a while for me to, you know, to have Jesus take over my heart and realize that I need to be compassionate about those who suffer. And it's okay to, you know, shed a tear here and there. But deep down, I'm not grieving like people who have no hope. There's a difference. It's not a, uh, you know, a chaotic panic of there's no hope there's nothing i can do or poor me or self-pity or we hurt when people hurt and that's a godly quality even though we know it's going to be okay and jesus did that i mean he cries and then he raises him from the dead you're like well why did he cry because when we hurt he hurts and i think it's an awesome uh personality trait of the living God. Well, and it just, it brings out that humanity side of who he is so much. And you know what, the reason I put this story into my, what I'm calling my untouchable category is because it was, it was a good ceremonial law to, to touch a dead body or anything connected to a dead body. It would make you ceremonially unclean. You'd have to go and, you know, be consecrated by the priest and all this to be able to go into the temple. So this is another one of those situations. I mean, Jesus didn't have to touch the coffin to raise the guy from the dead. We saw that in the previous miracle, right? I mean, he could have just said it and he could have set up and talked, but he went out of his way to do something that in the moment would make him ceremonially unclean to touch the coffin with the dead body inside. And so, again, he, he didn't do things by accident. I mean, he's conveying a message there that people are more important than our traditions and that which makes us ceremonially unclean. 
Yeah. And so I just think it's another one of those where it, it, and he doesn't get into any controversy here about it, but it does, it was another one of those moments where he's doing something that the people around him would never do. And yet, because he's the son of God, he does it. Well, that's a great point because we always think, you know, if someone is sick, we don't want to touch them because we don't want to get sick. But if you are incapable of that, and when you touch people, the opposite effect happens that you're healed, that you're cured, that you're cleansed. And that's why, you know, Jesus provides so much hope. And I think you could do a lesson on this and, and title it Dead Man Talking. Yeah. Which is a contrast of the two kingdoms, you know, a dead man walking. That's when he's going to be executed. This guy comes up talking, which is, uh, you know, you think about all the things in our culture that we, we use to describe this. So, you know, when they're trying to solve a crime or they'll say, you know, they were talking from the grave, you know, because they left some some note or, you know, I remember reading a funny... A message from beyond the pale. I read a story one time that there was a woman who never married. And so when when she died, she left in her will that she didn't want to be... She didn't want any male pallbearers. And she said the reason... (laughs) for this is when I was alive, none of them wanted to take me out. And so I'm not going to let them take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> she spoke from the, she spoke from. Boy, that's what a grudge to hold against somebody. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was kind of funny, but you know, the point here in this is because we're so fascinated with what happens when someone dies and I mean, there's TV shows, uh, there's, you know, people seeing the light and the tunnel and the, you have all these things and you actually have a person on the earth who had that experience. And I really think it's just not for us to understand what happens. Cause I, you know, if God wanted us to know, well, we would know, I mean, so I, I'm not troubled. I mean, I'm kind of making a joke about that, but. It, to me, it's just fascinating that we're so obsessed with this. And here you have a historical document based on a place that is still there today where there was a guy dead and he come back to life. And, and when he came back to life, he was talking 90 miles an hour. And uh, it's just fascinating to me that this is a reality. When The more you read this, the more you think about this, there is a legitimate way for us to come back from the dead and to be fully functional, which is amazing and awesome. Plus, imagine how many stories were told by this guy and his mom and the little funeral procession that were there about what happened there. Oh, I'm pretty sure this guy had a podcast. They didn't call it a podcast. I mean, it's instant podcast. Dead man talking. That was the podcast. That's the name. That's where I was going with that. The name of the podcast was We're Glad You're Here. He found a hill over there and the people gathered up and he's like, Let me explain to you, you know, what happened. I mean, you know, it's an instant celebrity that, that happened here. 
And uh, I just, I think it's, it, it's, this is the only place this story is recorded. But when you start thinking of the ramifications of this, this is very encouraging to a human being that knows one day he's going to die. Yep. Well, and it kind of lends itself back, Jace, to the John when he closed out his book, remembering John 21. He said, I can't even, there's not enough books to hold everything that Jesus did while he was here. And so, like, we got the ones through four different eyewitnesses that he did, but it only scratches the surface of all the stories and things. I mean, there was stuff like this happening, I guess, every day, uh, you know, for three years. And so, you know, we don't even... We we got to wait to get to heaven to hear all the rest of the stories. Oh yeah, of course, I will say I will say this is one of the times that I'm envious of Dallas Jenkins because what he's doing with the chosen. Because wouldn't it be neat to just film this story and then you know we don't know what he said, but then just to imagine and get to imagine that him having a whole speech when he comes back from the dead. I mean, that'd be fun to be able to create that imagination. Well, evidently he, he got word of my, I made a proposal a few podcasts ago about doing a movie about Luke and, uh, from, from a doctor's viewpoint. And I, I told, well, eventually, because we had a conversation, me and Dallas Jenkins, evidently that idea got back to him. And, uh, he said, he said, yeah, in the future. So, cause he's kind of busy right now. Yeah. But, uh, so that may be coming, you know, one day where we do it. And so I, I was telling him further that it was kind of a dream I had where I thought of this movie where he's like the medical expert and he investigates yeah. all these healings. And so he's like testifying in a court of law. Cause it is interesting that a doctor is seeing healings and things that are supernatural. You know, once you do the paddles and the, you know, you make a call, they, 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 that's their official, we're calling it. What are they calling? They're calling your life. It's over. You just got the call. That's bad for you. They sign a piece of paper. Time of death, 2.04 p.m. 2.04, it's over. Now, and they move on because there's literally nothing a doctor can do in that moment. So for a doctor to be writing this, there just seems something interesting about that to me. I think this mm-hmm. needs to, you know, it, it, there, there needs to be a movie about this because what he's portraying here in our minds is something that is theoretically impossible in the medical field. You know, once you make the call, now, we told about the person from Ecuador, you know, that, you know, evidently they didn't check their pulse. And, you know, five hours into the funeral, they hear the knocking on the coffin. And she's like, what are y'all doing? Now, she she came up talking, but they concluded that she actually wasn't dead. They, they made a bad call. And I'm sure that's what people would probably say about this situation. But Jesus proved later on in this book, because he was dead three days, which is why I think it was three days. There's no... Once you're dead and buried for three days, it's over. Pretty well. <laughs> it's over. He wasn't asleep, you know, it wasn't some hocus pocus. And then I think you validate that once you leave without the aid of a mechanical instrument, once you leave the earth levitating, you know, 
you pretty much have a power that that is unknown to every other human. So it's interesting, Jace. I hadn't, I'd never thought about it until you just said that about Luke's investigation into these stories, and he's talking about him. He is a medical doctor, and I wonder if his own experiences helped him in that because I, I just looked over at Acts chapter twenty when Eutychus was sitting in a window and Paul is preaching and, and, and Luke who writes the book of Acts says on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So he was with Paul at this setting when they all got together and then Eutychus falls out of the window and he dies. Mm -hmm. And so we know Luke was there. And, and, and again, this is just conjecture, but I wonder if Luke ran out and was like, Oh, Oh, sorry. They said, is there a doctor in the house? Luke raises his hand. Yeah. They go down there. And then there's like, it's hey, over. you touch it. You know what this is the equivalent of? This is the equivalent of a doctor. What was the doctor during COVID that caused all the controversy? Fauci. This is the equivalent to Dr. Fauci coming on one of many days he comes on and breaking news comes up, you know, a press conference. And he's like, look, I know, you know, there's 17 million people in 104 countries that have contact, you know, contacted the disease. And he, he goes through all the stats and he says, but we have found a man that if he touches you, you will be healed. Now, how would that press conference have, have come across? Pretty shocking. <laughs> yeah, but that's what is being portrayed here. We have a doctor. Jason, that, that press conference, you needed your button, and you touched the button, and it's crickets. <laughs> but <laughs> Luke, every time he shares one of these, this is a doctor saying yeah. that there is a man touching people, and they're cured. He's touching a coffin, and they're coming back from the dead talking. I mean, he's making one breaking news statement after another, and it's not coming from just, you know, a commercial fisherman. It's an actual doctor. And look, there's a lot of ways you can view death. But the bottom line is, Jace, without what we're reading, you're not getting out of you're here You're not alive. getting out of the ground. We go you're to not- the funerals. We, we cry. We say, well, that's it. Well, wait a minute. Maybe it's not. I mean, just think about this. This is the greatest news on the planet. That's why what you're hearing. When I ask someone, and and it it's you can see it, and a bowed atheist when I say, "Do you have a better story?" When it comes to physical death, what is your story? Well, a fellow who says, you know, this Jesus thing, we don't want to be with him. Well, so he's headed toward death. We all are, and this says you can beat it. It can be beaten if you follow the one who died and is now alive. I would I would say that's definitely a better story. So we're out of time. Uh, we'll flesh this out a little bit more in overtime. If you want to follow us over, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed uh, to talk a little bit more about the great story of raising people from the dead. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.